0: Well, today we're beginning a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's called The Search for Meaning, and it's in the book of Ecclesiastes, like I said, which is a very strange book. Um, Out of all the the books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes has a very unique voice. There is no other book quite like Ecclesiastes in all of Scripture. And so uh, we're going to be going um, over the book for the next several months, and uh, as you came in today, did you receive a booklet? Everybody receive a booklet? Could you raise it in the air and wave it like you just don't care? Uh, what this is, is uh, this is a booklet that we're going to be using um, all the way through the series. Just keep it, put it in your Bible, uh, take it week to, to uh, week, to, week to, to the services, and uh, because we're going to be studying this, and we're also going to do it in all of our small groups. So um, every small group is going to be going through the book of Ecclesiastes with this little uh, booklet, going through sermon questions, d- digging deeper into the book, um, every single one of us. Are going to be doing this, so uh, if you're not in a small group, uh, I would really encourage you to join one. Uh, if you don't jo- join one, you're going to be getting the sermons on Sunday, but you're going to be missing uh, half of, of what we want you to learn. So uh, this is a great opportunity to get in the small group. Uh, all the groups are listed at the on the back table in the foyer. To the as you walk out, go to your go to your left um, and uh, sign up for a class or or a group, and uh, it'll be a good learning experience for you over the next several weeks. So. The book of Ecclesiastes, so uh, the, the overarching theme of the book of, the, of Ecclesiastes is, is this, all is meaningless. Welcome to church today. <laughs> all is meaningless, all is vanity, all is vapor. Uh, the tenor of this book is, like I said, unlike any other book in the Bible, it's, it's incredibly pessimistic. Uh, this is, this is a, a, actually a really dark, uh, in some ways skeptical Skeptical book. very modern book, really. If the Bible were a party, the the book of Ecclesiastes would be the party pooper. Uh, Ecclesiastes wants to poop all over your party. Uh, That's just what it wants to do. Uh, It's just that sort of a book. And some of you may remember there's a skit, a Saturday Night Live skit called uh, Debbie Downer. And uh, Debbie Downer, uh, every episode, uh, there'd be some party going on, some, uh, you know, uh, festive occasion, everybody's around a table, and everybody's having a good time and smiling, and and somebody gets up and shares some piece of good news or some uh, positive piece of information. And then Debbie Downer uh, interjects with her pessimistic, glass-half-empty perspective. And then after she makes her statement, there's this sound, you know, that goes, Wah, wah. As you read the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a lot of wah, wah. This is just one of those books. It is incredibly, uh, like I said, skeptical, pessimistic. It uh, looks at the downside of life. And uh, what's so interesting about the book is that it's written by King Solomon. And uh, the the author just calls himself in Hebrew Koheleth, which uh, literally it uh, can mean the preacher or the philosopher or even the, you know, the, um, uh, the teacher. But uh, as you read the book, you know it's written from the perspective of uh, King Solomon. Solomon was the second king of Israel. Uh, he was, uh, he built the, the, the temple in, in Israel. He was, he was right after King David. And uh, the thing about King Solomon is that he was killing it. I mean, in every way possible, Solomon was killing it in life. Uh, he was the wealthiest man in the world. He was the wisest man in the world. Uh, he, he lived in luxury. He had all the sex that he, that he could ever want. Uh, he was famous. He was, he was powerful. Solomon was killing it in every way. And yet, his concluding words to this life are, Vanity, vanity, everything is Vanity. And the strength of Ecclesiastes is its raw, unrestrained honesty, isn't it? I mean, here, here is Solomon, and what he's doing is he's just being brutally honest with us. And it's not like he's having a bad day. Like, like I said, he's killing it. This guy's got everything in life, and yet his conclusion of the matter, brutally honest, he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And so what is, what is, uh, what is Solomon trying to do here? What's the, I mean, so here's this book. I mean, what are we supposed to learn from the book of Ecclesiastes? What do we learn by, by all is vanity? Well, I think that Solomon is not trying to depress us. I don't think he's trying to make our lives miserable. Uh, I think what he's trying to do is wake us up. I think what Solomon would say is that most of us live like life in a fog. Never too sad, never too happy, We're kind of ratcheting around uh, in life, you know, dealing with the minutia of life, getting up, going to bed, uh, eating meals, uh, you know, surfing the internet, uh, you know, working, you know, playing on your your iPhone, uh, binge-watching Netflix. And Solomon says, stop, clear the fog, I want to think about the most basic realities of life. There's a song I used to love as a younger person. It was by Pink Floyd, and I'm not dating myself because I was sort of young to be listening to Pink Floyd. But they, they had one song that I, there's one of my favorites, it's called Comfortably Numb. And the chorus goes, I have become comfortably numb. And I think he was on LSD, but... <laughs> But I think what Solomon would say is that all of us, I mean, we may not be taking LSD, but all of us are numb, so to speak. All of us are, live life in a fog. All of us kind of ratchet around in life, sort of forgetting about what, it's, what we're here for. Why, what's the point of it all? And so Solomon gets, gets brutally honest because he knows that before we can understand the point of life, we have to come to grips with the vanity of life. Until you really understand his phrase, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless, you will never come to grips with the better truth, which is there is a purpose. And so that's what Solomon is is trying to do. Now, today, what I want to do is I want to introduce us to the book by just looking at that phrase, all is vanity, vanity, vanities, all is vanity. I want to ask, what does Solomon mean by that? What What is he saying? What exactly does he mean by meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless? Now, to, to begin with, what he's talking about here is, is something that's true about life under the sun. Now, what does that mean? He's talking about life uh, um, under the curse, under the fall. He's talking about life that 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 is square right in the middle of the time between the time that Adam and Eve fell in the garden and the curse was put on the whole earth, and it was broken. And the time when, when Jesus Christ will come again and make all things right and all the sad things untrue. About this time, this fallen world, the reality that we live in day to day now, Solomon says, all of that is vanity. And notice he says, all is vanity. Uh, meaning that there is not one square inch, inch of this fallen world that doesn't fall under that pronouncement. Every person, place, and thing in this life is vanity says Solomon. But what does he mean by that? What what does he mean by that? Well, I think he means at least three things. There are at least three things that Solomon means by all is vanity. And I think first, uh, if you're taking notes, the first thing that he means by it is is he wants us to know something about the brevity of life. The brevity of life. So vanity uh, literally means vapor. That's what it literally means. It means vapor. And we're, we're approaching the fall, and that means we're, we're approaching colder weather. Can I get an amen? Oh, yes, I'm ready for that. And you, you get up in the morning in the fall, and you know that it's fall when you start to see your breath. You go out in the morning, you get in the car, you can see the breath. But, but what's true about your breath? What's true about that vapor? It is gone as soon as it comes, right? It comes out of your mouth, and then it's gone in an instant. You're walking down the beach, and you, you leave footprints in the sand, but what's true about the footprints in the sand? Well, if you're walking along, along the water line, is, as soon as you put those prints go in the sand, the, the, the sand, the tide comes up and your prints are gone. They're gone as fast as they came. And what Solomon is saying is that life is sort of like that. Life is sort of like that. Life is a vapor. Life is, is, is gone as soon as it comes. Um, every good thing that this life has to offer has a limited shelf life. Uh, you know, all the good things in life, even all the best things in life, are gone way too quickly, aren't they? I mean, we all know the truth of this. So think about it. You, some, many of you just had a summer vacation in your back, you know, to, to, to start school or to start a job or whatever. And what's true about the, the best vacations? They go way too quickly. You know, you got the house on the beach and you've got it for two weeks. But man, it just flies by, doesn't it? And you're snapping pictures the whole time, because it's you want to you want to stop it, you know, on on Polaroid. You want to you want to remember it the way you experienced it, but it's gone so quickly. So vacations are like this. Or you think about parenting. Think about your kids. Uh, on my Facebook feed, uh, every now and again, it w- these little uh, you know memories will pop up. Six years ago, eight years ago, twelve years ago. And uh, this past week, there one came up on my feed that was from six years ago. And there was little baby, not baby, but little toddler Samuel, three years old. And it's like I bl- I blinked my eyes and he was nine. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to blink my eyes again and he'll be 18. And this is what it's like. And people are always telling you, remember uh, this time. Uh, you gonna know, take advantage of this time. Don't, uh, you know... Uh, forget this time but it's hard to remember it because it's gone and it's quick in an instant it's, it's, it's like a vapor uh, our youth is like this uh, you know th- there are many of you who are young and you think you're always gonna be young you know you, you, you don't think you're ever gonna die you know you're buff and you're strong and you've got a six pack and you think I'm always gonna look like this listen you won't and this is what will happen. You're gonna be walking down the street one day and you're gonna look over in the window of the landers and you're gonna say, who is that person? <laughs> who is that person with the gray hair and all the fat around his waistline? Is that my dad? Oh no. <laughs> what it? But, but you're, this is how your youth is. Your, your youth is gone in an instant. There's a song by Simon and Garfunkel called Old Friends and it's one of my favorites. Very nostalgic. He's, it goes, old friends sit on a park bench like bookends. And he says, Can you imagine us years from today sitting on a park bench quietly? How terribly odd to be 70. What's that song trying to communicate? That it, it, life is a vapor. You blink your eyes and you're 70. You think you're always going to be young, but that's not the case. And I know there are times in life that, we, that go slowly. You know, times when you're suffering. Uh, t- times that are a drag and where time goes so slowly. But most of life and, and all of the best things in life are vapor. Psalm 90 uh, says that, the, that human beings are like a flower of the field, here today, gone tomorrow. And Charles Spurgeon, he's got a book called Lectures to My Students, and it's a little, uh, it's a little uh, how-to guide for uh, pastors, And there's one little piece of advice in there that is such an unusual piece of advice. He says to to ministers, he says, be often where men die. Graveyards, hospitals, be often where men die. Why? It's a reminder of the vapor. It's a reminder of the vapor. Don't get intoxicated uh, by thinking that life is going to go on forever. And here's, here's the thing about this is we bristle against the brevity of life. Uh, it, is, it doesn't feel right that life is this short, you know? Uh, it just doesn't feel right. And Solomon says the reason why that's the case. He says, God has put eternity in the heart of every human. In other words, permanence is part of your makeup. Permanence is part of what you really long for and yet what we experience in the world is transience. We are per, we are people built for permanence, but our experience is transient. It's ephemeral. It's vapor. And this is why we're so frustrated by this. This is why life is too fast. And so this, when Solomon says life is meaningless, life is a vapor, at least he is saying this, that life is so incredibly brief. I think he's also saying something about the futility of life. And so when, when Solomon says, "All is vanity," another way to put it is, is to say that all is empty, or "all is unsatisfying." Uh, the way Solomon puts it is, he says, "All is chasing after the wind." And he says, "This is how life is. It's chasing after a wind and uh, the wind." And what an evocative metaphor. Right? Think about chasing after the wind. You're running after something. You're pursuing something that you could never catch. Right, you grasp at it, but it's always escaping you. So Solomon says that's what life is like. And again, it's not just the horrible things in life that are like that. He says the best things in life are chasing after the wind. So Solomon, in this book, he essentially recounts uh, his quest. Uh, like I said, Solomon was uh, he was wealthy, he was rich, he was incredibly successful. And what he does is he goes one by one, and he and he he names the good things that he's acquired and shows how they're vapor, shows how they're empty. So he says, uh, he says, think about wealth, for example. He says wealth, he says you, you, you spend your life and, and you amass it and you get it and, it, and you have more of it than you, than you could ever want, but he says then you die and you leave it to somebody else and who knows what they're gonna do with it. Wealth is unsatisfying. And then he talks about knowledge. He says I went on a quest to, to learn wisdom, and to figure out, you know, the, the riddles of, of, of the, the world. But he says, here's the problem. He says, the more knowledge you have, the more miserable you are. Professors in the room, right? Can we get an amen? Right? The, the more knowledge you have, the more miserable you are. He says, knowledge is, is strangely unsatisfying. And then he talks about luxury. There's a place in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about Solomon. And it talks about all the opulence that, that Solomon lived in. He, he lived in, an, in a mansion, you know, the equivalent of, of Taj Mahal or the Buckingham Palace. Uh, he was accustomed to uh, fine dining uh, and to uh, living in luxury. And yet Paul, uh, but Solomon's conclusion to this is emptiness, vanity. Uh, he, had, he had all the pleasure that he could ever want. Sex, um, like we said, luxury. And yet, Solomon says all of these things are strangely unsatisfying. One commentator put it this way She said, Here's Solomon. This is what Solomon's like. He He climbs the golden ladder of ultimate success, looks over the brink. He actually has the wherewithal to step back from the edge, climb back down, and tell the rest of us there's nothing up there. And so, here's what's true about you all of you are on a search. All of you are on a search for meaning. All of you are, are looking and longing for things and chasing after things in this life. And many of you think that once you get that marriage or that amount of wealth or that piece of property or that amount of knowledge, then you're gonna be satisfied. And, and Solomon says, this is a fool's errand. He says, I've already got all of it and I'm telling you that it's vanity, it's emptiness, it's, it's unsatisfying, it's like, it's like taking a big bite of cotton candy, it melts in your mouth and leaves you unsatisfied. C.S. Lewis uh, has a great little quote where he describes this. I want to analyze it for a second. He says, most people, it's going to come up on the screen, most people, if, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. So he says, if you just stop and look at your own heart, he says, you want things that, you, that just can't. this world doesn't offer it. You can't get it in this world. And then he goes on, there are all sorts of things in the world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or, or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites, excites us are longings which no marriage or travel or learning can, can really satisfy. I, and then he says, I am not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages. So he says there are bad things, a bad marriage or a bad vacation, and those things leave you longing. Oh, that wasn't, I want more than that. But notice what he says. I'm not just talking about those things. He says, I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in the first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, the hotels and scenery may have been excellent, and chemistry may be very interesting, be a very interesting job, but something has evaded us. In other words, the very best things this life has to offer, they promise fulfillment, they promise satisfaction, but they leave you empty. Some of you know this because you've already gotten those things, and you know the nausea, that comes from being unsatisfied. Some of you are still chasing, think you're gonna f- thinking you're gonna find the Holy Grail. Solomon says it's not out there. It's not out there. Uh, Cornelius Plantinga puts it this way, the truth is nothing on this earth can satisfy us. Much can make us content for a time, but nothing can fill us to the brim. If you hope to find ultimate satisfaction under the sun, Solomon says, you will be let down you'll be chasing after the wind. Life is unsatisfying. It's beautiful. I mean, there, there are beautiful things in life. There are things that we enjoy in life, but Solomon says if you're looking for your meaning in those things, you're gonna be let down. Yesterday, we went to Petagene National Park. Anybody else been there? Man, that is a beautiful place in Arkansas. And there's a, there's a it's a um, resort up there on the top of the mountain, and when you're when you're at that resort, anybody been there? And, and you look out and you see the hills and you see the beauty. I mean, it is incredible beauty. Um, it's I don't I don't know if there's anywhere else in the world that tops it. And I remember looking out at the beauty and I wanted to almost jump into it. I wanted it to. I wanted. I I wanted more of it. But the kids started crying, and we had to get in the van and go home. <laughs> So what Solomon is saying is like the best things in life are like cotton candy. Oh, they're beautiful, but it leaves you wanting more. The futility of life. So we're talking about vanity. It's it's the brevity of life. It's the futility of life. We all experience that. It's the chase that doesn't satisfy you. But then he talks about the brutality of life. Solomon, throughout this book, when he says all is meaningless... He, it, I want you to picture him raising his hands in the air and just looking up to the sky and saying, "Meaningless, meaningless! All is meaningless." It's a cry of desperation. It's a cry of frustration. Because, like we just said, I mean, he, he's living a life where there are desires that he has that there's nothing in the world that will satisfy them. I mean, this is frustrating and brutal. It leaves you constantly nauseous and empty. But then as you look at the book, he starts talking about life under the sun as being a life that is almost a, an enigma and a riddle that will never be figured out. And so when you, look at the, when you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we'll see it as we go on, this book rambles and it seems to contradict itself and it repeats itself and it wanders and it's hard to grasp and it's difficult to understand. And he's saying life is kind of like this. If you try to chart and graph life out, good luck. If you try to make sense of life and fit it into nice, easily explainable categories, you won't be able to do it. Life is like a math equation that you cannot solve. Because when you look at life, there's injustice here under the sun. Right? Solomon at one point says, there's the wise and the fool and both of them die. And then he says, there, there's the wicked and the righteous, and sometimes the wicked gets ahead. And sometimes people suffer, and you don't know why. You don't know why it seems so senseless. And he says, if you're really paying attention to this life, if you're, if you're, not, if you, if you're out of the fog, and you've got some clarity, and you're looking at reality under the scent, he says, you cannot help but conclude that there's some brutality to this life. It's, it can be incredibly, incredibly sad. I was watching a, a Conan O'Brien uh, episode, and there was a, he had a he had a comedian on there, who uh, he was interviewing, and the comedian his name was uh, Louis C.K. And he was talking at one point about how he hates cell phones. He says, oh, "I hate cell phones. My kid don't kids don't have cell phones. I hate them." And he says, "The reason why I hate them so much is because they keep you in a fog." He said, "It just distracts you from from the reality of life." And he says, "Sometimes the reality of life." is pretty brutal, and so he, he begins to relate one of his own experiences. He says, he says, you know, underneath everything in your life, there's that thing, you know, that, that forever empty, just that knowledge that it's all for nothing and you're alone. <laughs> Conan's like, what are you talking about? And he says, you know, it's down there, and sometimes when things clear away and you're not watching anything and you're in your car and you start going, oh no, here it comes, the forever empty, here it comes, I'm alone. And then he says, You know, it starts to visit on you, and it's just this sadness. Life is is tremendously sad just being in it. When you read the Bible, over and over again in the Psalms, you see people lamenting this sort of thing in life. You know, most of the songs we read about in the Psalms are psalms of lament, That is, a person in this life who's just saying, what is wrong? I just don't get it. Things are not going right, and they're lamenting. Most of the psalms are psalms of lament. And so the Bible gives us a release valve to express negative emotions. In fact, the, the Bible would almost say the absence of negative emotions expressed, like grief or sorrow and lament, reveal either A, you're living a very sheltered life, or B, you're living in denial. You're a dishonest person. But Solomon won't let us go there. He says, I I want you to look at this life, and I'm going to tell you the truth. It can be incredibly sad. Uh, So, what do we do about this? Some of you are like, this is the most depressing sermon I've heard in a very long time. My three points, the, the brevity of life, the futility of life, and the brutality of life. Okay, let's shut the book and go home, okay? Shall we? No, I won't leave you there. What do we do about this? How do we respond to Solomon's, Solomon's observations, his honest, brutally honest observations about life? What do we do? Well, I think one response is despair. You know, if we stop here, I th- you know, all is meaningless, I think one One very genuine response is just total despair. In fact, if Friedrich Nietzsche, the existentialist philosopher, he at one point says, if life is truly meaningless, the only logical response is suicide. And as you look throughout history, there's been a lot of artists that have followed Nietzsche's advice. The brilliant Vincent van Gogh, who saw the beauty of life but was overwhelmed by the despair. Uh, there's Ernest Hemingway, you know, the novelist. Uh, the brilliant Kurt Cobain in the 90s. Recently, uh, Robin Williams. These sensitive souls who were overwhelmed by this honest assessment of life. Gosh, even Pascal said, life is not worth living if all one knows of earthly pleasure are brief moments of satisfaction surrounded by a lifetime of boredom and frustration. So one option is to go to the edge of the abyss and jump off. Man, and maybe some of you are there this morning. And Solomon understands that, but he doesn't want you to go there. I don't think he wants you to go there. Despair is not the option he wants you to take another option is denial kind of like what i was talking about at the very beginning comfortably numb comfortably i have become comfortably numb you know what i've i've learned not to think about life very much <laughs> it's so brutal it's so short it's so fleeting i just you know let's have another beer and <laughs> forget about life for a while as billy joel said right let's 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 medicate on netflix put on another movie I don 't think for him, denial is an option because it, it's not the truth. you know there are many of us who are still living this way. you know you may be a Christian even, and you're still thinking, "Oh, I'm going to live forever, oh yes, I'm going to go on like this forever and someone says, "Wake up!" Or you think, "Oh, it's out there, if I just get this amount of money or if I just get this relationship or I just get this or that, then I'll be satisfied, and someone says, "Wake up, get out of the fog oh if you know. Life is not that bad. I can go into a suburb and, and close myself in and I just won't see, it, I just won't look at it, I won't think about the brutality of life. Solomon says, wake up! Get out of the fog! Solomon wants to bring us face to face with the brutality and the vanity of life. Why does he want to do that? Because it's not until you face this reality that you're ready to ask the question, what, why am I here? Where is meaning anyway? You got to face the brutality to get out of the fog, to ask yourself the question, why am I here? And so Solomon ultimately, at the very end, if you want to turn to the very last uh, chapter here, and uh, there's a very last book, or very last chapter in this book, uh, verses 13 and 14. Solomon says this. He says, Here's where I want. He, look, Solomon, this whole book is just depressing, okay? And we're going to be here for 12 months or <laughs> 12 weeks. Um, I mean, he brings us 12 weeks. Um, Brian, I saw you kind of look in there. 12 weeks. He keeps us here for a very long time. He he makes us sit in the vanity. And then finally, he brings us out at the end. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret, secret thing whether good or evil. Solomon here is, he's saying, look, consider the brutality of life, but once you get there, you've got to ask the question, is there something beyond life under the sun? There's got to be something more. And then the Bible goes on and, gives, and says, absolutely there is. Yes, God created this world, but we are in this period where the world is fallen and broken and futile. But Romans 8 says that God has subjected this world to futility, but he subjected it in hope. In other words, we're supposed to experience the futility so that we could be driven to hope. Hope in what? Hope in God, hope in... This is the end of the matter. There is a God. He has made this world and he is what you need. Living for him, loving him, knowing him is where meaning is found. There's a story of Jesus in the New Testament and it takes place around a, a well. And he's talking to a woman at the well. And he starts to talk to her about living water. It's a, that's a... It's a metaphor for meaning and purpose. He starts talking to her about living water. He says, I can give you, you're drawing real water. I can give you living water. And she says, sir, I I want this water. I want this meaning. I want this purpose. Where do I find it? And then he says, go get your husband. In other words, she says, I want the meaning. And Jesus says, let's talk about your sex life. Why would Jesus do that? He says, you want to know what the meaning is? It's what you've been looking for in men and you haven't been able to find it. You're on a search and you will never find what you're looking for until you look beyond this world and you receive the living water that is only found in a relationship with me. The living God, a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ uh came into this world of futility, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the living water, the bread of life, the, the one who makes meaning possible. He entered into this world and he took futility for us. And on the cross, we hear the, the cry of God forsakenness. God, where are you? Futility, meaningless. Where? God, is, he's experiencing the meaningless and the futility of life so that taking that futility, he might offer us something permanent. C.S. Lewis uh, says this, he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real thing. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at the real thing. We're gonna be looking at what, We're going to be looking at what life is all about. I want to clear the fog for you. I don't want us to be ratcheting around, you know, binging Netflix and just lost in the minutia of life. I want us to live on the edge of the abyss where we have crystal clarity about why we're here and what matters in this life. Let's pray. Father, we, God, as we embark on this series in in this uh, very uh, interesting and unique book, Uh, God, I pray that we would not be driven to despair, but that we would um, ultimately find our meaning uh, in the only source of meaning, which is a relationship with you, obeying you, looking forward to the new world that you will inaugurate. And God, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, this week, Monday morning, Tuesday, as as we go about our lives, that you would help us to live with crystal clarity. God, I pray that we would be incredibly purposeful Uh, knowing why we're here, knowing what matters, like arrows pointed uh, to true north. And we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.